Hello, welcome to the edited version of Josie and Robin's Book Shambles. If you'd like to hear the full version of this conversation, then you can go to cosmicshambles.com slash bookshambles and become one of our Patreon supporters, uh, which you can do for as little as $1 an episode. That's one US dollar, and obviously it will depend on which of our economies is declining more, uh, how much that actually works out in pounds, uh, euros, etc. Hello, welcome to Book Shambles. A couple of quick notices. If you are supporting the show on Patreon at the $3 and above tier, we have announced the details for our first uh, live online book club. Uh, the book is Kurt Vonnegut's Galapagos, and it's going to be on the 19th of May. Uh, if you check your Patreon inboxes or check, there's a post on there, uh, locked for people unless you're at the right tier and it's got all the information on there so please do check that out and we hope we see you uh online at the book club and as always a quick reminder about our upcoming albert hall gigs june 15 in the main room space shambles hosted by robin and chris hadfield with lots of guests including Stuart lee and jim alkalili and apollo astronaut rusty schweikart and festival of the spoken nerd and monica grady and lots and lots of other people grace petrie we've already announced her as well uh lots of other people uh tickets at royalalberthall.com and our book shambles uh live recordings at the albert hall on june 4 Lucy Green and Alan Moore and on June 11 it is Adam Buxton you can get tickets for that from either Cosmic Shambles website or the Royal Albert Hall website and now on to this week's episode this is Robin and Josie chatting with Craftivism Collective founder Sarah Corbett there is a point and it was obviously the one that kind of really you know drove you to the point of having to just go I have to pull back we go oh fuck I can't actually change everything yeah. and I can't and that moment of going uh, um, oh I've, I've done a good thing uh, we need why you haven't to... you done that oh well. shit I haven't done that yet I know can I say if we have started recording I have a very personal you're in the book um, in the back do you remember because you um, yeah, because I found it. But so this is where I need to have a very personal connection to this because I've seen do the, the intro, book. Do the intro. Oh, hello! Welcome to Robin and Josie's book shambles. I'm Josie Long. Uh, Robin Ince is also here, and uh, wonderful guest today is Sarah Corbett, uh, the uh, brains and heart behind craftivism. Oh, um, not, the not the spleen. Not the spleen. We don't even <laughs> know. It's mysterious spleen and pancreas. Sorry, but before we even discuss the book. There is, uh, I moved house uh, in between um, being a part of the uh, pre-ordering and it coming and it went to my old address. The woman who lives there's name is Imogen. I have contacted the landlord and they have passed it on to Imogen and I've given my address and I've offered to pay for the book to be sent to my new address and Imogen has kept the book. Uh, she knows who she is. She lives in SC27. <laughs> I won't give the address even though I could. Um, That's a compliment for me, is it? Hopefully. <laughs> it is, I think. You know, she seemed like a cool person actually, but I'm, I'm absolutely furious at Imogen for not responding to my clear request to send on Can the book. Can you write her a nice yeah. little gentle protest card? I mean, to be fair, I do have her address, so well, I could write again. Already, I feel that your protest against her has been too aggressive. I and agree, Robin. <laughs> if you'd received the book, if you'd received the book, you'd have. But then, if you'd received the book, you wouldn't admit this is a circular. <laughs> oh, this is an absolute disaster. So let's let well let's start off by talking about where what why fund this book and because this is quite a new thing to me. This this yeah. the craft of this movement. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so so give us a, you you talk about it in the book. Give us some of the background of how this became because you you started off you were involved in in quite a lot of kind of campaigning and and yeah. and, and, and you know work professionally in, in this area. Yeah, and still am. Um, but I became a burnt out activist like lots of people. And at the time, I was working for. Difford, which always sounds like a Welsh town, doesn't it? But it's the Department for International Development on an incredible project. But I was working 80 hour weeks and traveling around the country. And I get travel sick on trains, especially those Pendolino ones, you know, that tilt. And I was going up to Glasgow for work. And I love Glasgow. My nan's Glaswegian. It's but, the um, best city in the world. It is but it's brilliant. it's very far from London. It is. And my job was to train young people to be effective campaigners. And I'd write lots of reports and, you know, do lots of emails on the train and get sick and couldn't read. And I was missing being creative. So I picked up a cross-stitch kit because I like to paint, but you can't paint on a Pendolino train, especially watercolours, <laughs> as you can imagine. And I had no passion for craft, handicrafts at all, but I just picked up this little kit thinking I want to do something creative with my hands and not just get travel sick and exhausted. And I immediately noticed, and this was 2008, and I immediately noticed that the craft, the handicraft calmed me down because you can't thread a needle fast. You have to separate your thread. So I immediately noticed how tight my body was, how tight my shoulders were, how tight my breath was. Stuff that as an activist I'd never been asked to, you know, you never asked really how are you doing? Mm. or And I'd never asked myself that. And I grew up in an activist family, you know, campaigning from the age of three to squatting in social housing to save them. And we won. Um, so the 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 technique first of threading the needle separating the thread really made me very mindful of my body and then doing the repetitive hand action calmed my brain down and let me ask myself quite uncomfortable questions that I'd been avoiding like am I being a burnt out activist am I doing activism that's effective or am I just doing lots of things to feel better and you've got this comfort of craft in your hands that's soft and repetitive and very um, meditative, really, to really reflect deeply on the issues. And then people were asking me what I was doing, and I thought, damn, if I wasn't just cross-stitching a teddy, I could be like, a quote from Gandhi, what do you think about inequality? <laughs> so it all unraveled, so I googled craft and activism, and the word craftivism popped up, which was coined in 2003 by a woman called Betsy Greer. But there was no projects or groups I could join, and I emailed her and said, I think... I think there's lots of ways craft could be useful in activism. Can I use this term? And she says anyone can. Um, so my approach to craftivism is general protest because there is craftivism out there that's lots of swear words or voodoo dolls of Donald Trump and I don't think that's effective. I think it's more harmful and helpful. So mine is very much about how to use some elements of craft to be useful in activism but not shoehorn your love of craft into activism. Can you pass me, because you've taken my book, and I'm I don't so want to have sorry. to send an angry letter to you like you've sent to Imogen. I've um, got a spare. Oh, my God, thank you. Oh, Imogen, Imogen, you can, you can keep the book, but use it well. <laughs> it was yes. my um, one. Let's have a look. Uh, yes, let's go yeah. through this. Uh, well, the Martin Luther King, can we start with that? Because that, oh, I don't know about this, but that uh, sounds... It's so good. And he's so... Like, I reread them all the time because he's so clever. Like, he refers to all these philosophers and div different religions, and and it's just incredible. You can see it's very worn, but I love him. 
And it, everything's still sadly so relevant now when he's like, you know, we need a tough mind and a tender heart. Mm. So we need strategy, but we also need to love everyone involved. But then I also oh. feel like his, um, his politics sometimes does get airbrushed out because, like, he was a socialist. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. he did have politics and it was specific But they normally politics. are. It's Albert Einstein, yeah. you know, and, oh, and yeah. there's quite a few Einstein. scientists yeah. who, who were incredible political campaigners. Yeah. And Carl they go, Sagan yeah, advertising yeah, Carl, for you... Uh, Arguing for universal healthcare. Yeah, and Carl Sagan, you know, he, he was arrested on marches and sit-ins and all manner of things. And also wrote a very, uh, did a very interesting interview about the use of marijuana where he was a mysterious scientist who was not named. So, <laughs> some years later when Lester Grinspoon went, well, maybe it was Carl Sagan. Um, but I love Before it. He was like, I love a talk. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it helped, you know, sometimes when you think, you know, I need to think about the universe and what am I going to put on the golden record? <laughs> hmm. wow. The uh but this is when you say relevant, Martin Luther King. Because I, I, I was thinking, I, I just bought yesterday um, the uh, the fire this time, which is the oh, a kind yeah. of collection of essays inspired by James Baldwin's book. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the fire next time, yeah. and that bit. You're right. Where sometimes you just go, ah, oh, shit. This is five decades on. Oh, no. and Have we learned anything? <laughs> well, that's what one thing that there's a great quote. You have a lot of great quotes in this book as well as your own book. But, oh, but, I love but, a but, good quote. There's a J.K. Rowling <laughs> one that, that, that you have, which I just I was thinking about it because uh, at the time of recording this anyway, we're uh, it's just after the event in Toronto where 10 people yep. were. I think it was 10 people murdered. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, and it's been a. a fascinating thing to horribly fascinating thing to watch the speed in which people went on the internet to say look what you've done uh trudeau see what diversity has done oh, and yeah, how quiet yeah. those people immediately became once it actually turns out that it may well have been in inspired by uh an, in, intense misogyny in this movement that's called incel and uh, you have somewhere here the jk rowling quote which is about uh Arguing with your friends is, yeah. here we are, uh, it takes a great deal of bravery to stand up to our enemies, but just as much to stand up to our friends. And I noticed that... And I think it can be harder to stand up to your friends because you don't want to upset them. You, whereas we can other the enemy and be like, well, they're obviously stupid and they don't know stuff and blah, blah, blah. Whereas your friends, you're like, oh, do I have this discussion now or am I too tired? Are they... You know, I think it's really hard because you're intimate with your friends and that's that can, can make it even more powerful campaign-wise because you do have a trust. You're going to listen to people more. But I think it can be so hard, yeah. I have a dot-to-dot of J.K. Rowland that's letterpress printed in a collective in Bristol, in a co-op, and you stitch the dot-to-dot. So you reflect on that quote and on what she's done as a change-maker on Twitter and philanthropy and the campaign, and she does, and think about... How has she used her context and her skills and passions in her activism and how you can use yours? And it's so fascinating how some people go for that quote, Robin, and go, I don't even like her books, but that quote's something I'm going to keep because it's on a little card you keep as a little reminder. I might have to move up from my colouring in books because I've oh, got all those colouring the brain and colouring oh, anatomy yeah. books and where you go to, to learn about yep. all those different things. And uh, so now, if I get out my you know, needle you thread one. as well, yeah. that sounds great. This this is a beautiful, sorry, the, 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 uh, A Gift of Love, which is this collection of Martin Luther King uh, Jr.'s um, sermons, is uh, yeah, it's just fantastic. Brilliant. And it makes sense to me in terms of, like, trying to focus and nurture the positive. Yeah. And, like, I was thinking as well about how 
it's interesting and I think it is quite rare that like with activist stuff the the act of doing it is therapeutic on a personal level for mm -hmm. the person doing it yeah that is really humane and it's not just like you know when people are like no no I'm a very spiritual person I do lots of yoga and it's like cool yeah. that's just for you yeah what else are you doing <laughs> yeah, yeah. like I try and do my yoga in the morning oh, God, but you've got to be like, outward fake focus as well and I do challenge other craftivists and craft lovers in the book by being like don't just knit a blanket because you love knitting and also that's not activism that's donation you know if you're going to knit a blanket for the homeless one ask the homeless person if they want it because if it's multicolored, they often don't want it because they want the police not to see them sleeping mm. rough because they'll get moved on and will the knitting weather well in the you know in the rain or will it smell a bit and you know is this more about your love of craft but like when I get lots of people going oh I love crochet so I'll, I'll use that in my activism and I have to go let's just stop and think about the strategy who are you targeting how why what are you trying to change yeah. and then work backwards because I do think craft can be incredible for activism but I also know it is just one tool so yeah. sometimes it shouldn't be the tool to use Let's see what else is in the uh, in, in my little pile. Books. Oh, I could have brought thousands, but I just so I brought a bit of a mix. I love this woman because I love zines. Faith G Harper is a doctor, and she does series on anger. I just bought all my friends. I should send you one as well. A book on um how to be. It was it's called woke parenting because she's oh, American <laughs> and it's amazing. And then I think for any activist, you've got to have Rebecca Solnit's Hope in the Dark. Oh, have you finished Obviously. reading that yet, Josie? I see. Oh, you have, yeah. I love this show. It's so I, I love good. this book so much. I basically wrote a show around it, but I deliberately <gasps> haven't read the last chapter because... <laughs> I deliberately didn't read any of it. <laughs> <laughs> but I like the picture. It's more of a slapstick <laughs> thing about being all in the dark and falling it. over stuff. But basically, I didn't read the last um, chapter because as I was carrying it round in a sort of weird, superstitious way, I wanted to not be lying when I said I was still reading it yeah, which is yeah, ridiculous yeah. but um, I still oh, so good. but you're so right like, and I can so see how this would relate to what you do because so much of this is saying look at these people did this thing yeah. and it worked yeah. and these people did this thing and as a result this happened and it didn't necessarily happen straight away but exactly. it did happen and, and my last chapter is all about measuring your success and I quote Rebecca Solnit all the time and lots of other people saying sometimes you know when you've won a campaign sometimes you don't sometimes you're mm. told you've had influence when you haven't and sometimes you're told that you haven't had influence when you have mm. so it's re it's the hardest thing to measure which is why people burn out so yeah. easily because it's so um, emotive as well activism isn't it you got to keep going also I love that you've got the same oh like, I scribble I like, scribble no, all same. over books which is why I can't give them to anyone there we go I've been scribbling on yours good so, I uh, love that I love this, when people scribble on my book I think <laughs> th th this is a very interesting part here which, which is uh, where you talk about um sometimes being involved with larger companies and you, you say mm -hmm. for a, a global coffee chain might give you 500 pounds to deliver a community event for them and they spend 5,000 pounds documenting it and <laughs> sharing it with the public to show how they are supporting a community while at the same time there may be decreasing maternity leave for their workers yep now this is a bit you know we're, we're hearing this all well. the time where you know in the same way where a company you know major drinks companies where we'll go into a school and yeah. it, it appears that but you know, so how 
how do people first of all i suppose get to the bottom of of being able to work out hang on a minute the the gain for this company is far greater than the give and it's being curious isn't it and it's not going straight into well they must be awful and presuming that because that just makes us exhausted and cynical and Mm. not have a joyful life but not also being naive to be like isn't that great i think we need to be curious and say well that's really interesting why are they doing that who are they doing that with is that something that's needed or does that community actually need some some money to pay for core costs of staff which isn't glamorous and isn't easy to show quick fixes but is needed for long-term support of a community rather than you know having staff go and help clean a garden that doesn't need cleaning which i'm from yeah a, for one afternoon for one then. afternoon and i'm from a very low-income area in everton in uk where we would have groups of very sweet people or companies saying we'll come and give stuff to your young people or we'll help here and we're like what we really need is this or we need structural change so that parents can get jobs we don't need the garden to be cleaned or so it's i think it's just being curious and asking but i the way i've learned habitually over the years so i don't burn out and don't get cynical is to say oh this is great why are they doing it what are they doing and let's presume they want to do good and work from there so always question them in a positive way of oh that's great have you thought about this or why did you pick that and not this or um what are you going to do after that what's the supporter journey for your staff or how is this is this activism and changing structures or is this donation and you're you know writing it up as something bigger than it is Mm. so i think it's just being as curious as possible but always trying to see people want to do a good thing it might be that the company's got different motives but normally the staff think oh this would be nice so it's just educating people and discussing it also oh. presuming. Oh, sorry. No, I was going to give a quick plug. I, uh, Trent, I presume I can mention what the Albert Hall, the Trussell Trust thing. Yeah. Uh, just quickly mention a very quick thing, which is uh, we're doing an event at the Albert Hall on the 15th of June uh, with a bunch of astronauts uh, and, uh, and other people. Just normal thing. And uh, for anyone who's coming to that, uh, we're going to be doing a food collection for Trussell Trust as well. We're going oh, to have brilliant. a big lorry there. So I just thought that seemed like a good time for people to really go, good. what should I do today? Well, bring some uh, and there's a list. Go on their website and you'll find a list of the normally they've updated the things that they need uh, yeah. most. Let me just quickly about in to say that list is at cosmicshambles.com com slash space shambles i can go there and the trussell trust have sent us a list of their most needed items and things they'd love people to bring uh to our collection at the albert hall gig and they've got incredible statistics that you can share with your local politician Mm. or local councillor and say this is all the stats from trussell trust yes i'm going to give them food but i also want you to say this should not be happening in 2018 yes it's not something to be celebrated as certain politicians have said i know and then I brought emotional intelligence book. Oh yeah, I've never read that, and yet it's, it's quoted so, so frequently in, in yeah. other people's. And he did another one after that on emotional leadership, which is really good as well. I think I was put off it by sometimes where it was put on the bookshelves might be near things that had had particularly effusive uh, reviews by Deepak Chopra, and okay. or things like you know that bit where <laughs> where you realise that in one way that book is very specifically designed to get as many people. But me, 
in my uh, snooty. Yeah, in my... Yeah. Uh, that I kind of go, um, I don't know if that's probably... Uh, probably Brian Cox and Ben Goldacre will tell me off if I'm reading that. You know that? <laughs> yeah, um, maybe just I read it reading. in secret. I mean, I read it because I, I do all these workshops and train people up in general protest and people are like, how do you know all this stuff? It just must be innate to you. I'm like, <laughs> no, I'm a horrible human being in my head. But I know strategically that I need to have open questions rather than closed ones and you know the the real core of all of my activism and looking throughout history of where it's worked is you show everyone involved that they're seen and heard and respected and that's where you can have those discussions and people listen to each other so the emotional intelligence book is a brilliant way of saying how do we make sure people feel valued how do we have a a discussion where we don't close off when we disagree with someone how do we realize how we're making people feel if we sit like you know with your arms crossed or whether you've got your hands in your pocket and there's so many like micro elements in like I love psychology so the whole book is like what fonts do you use because the fonts that we read has an effect just like my book's yellow because it's a hopeful color rather Mm. than red which is a very aggressive color Yellow yeah. and red are my two favourite colours. What does that Together. say? Oh, really? That's yeah, love them. Because it's about like sun and energy. Both of them yeah. are like energetic colours. God, the busiest my timeline's been on social media was the other day I retweeted Hannah Fry, the mathematician. As she, she was saying, oh, can anyone help me? Which which of these cover designs is best, you think? Yeah. Never, but for all of the different things I've retweeted, but this one, oh, not the yellow and green. Oh, do the red and uh, mauve. Oh, I actually think that's teal. You know, there was, I've <laughs> yeah. never been so moves. hot with colours. It's debates. like a warm red, whereas pillar box red immediately is very emotive. So we see it as an urgent sign. So it, it lots of campaigns use red because it makes us go, oh, what do we need to do now? Huh. Whereas in terms of long term sustainability as an activist, it's exhausting. Ooh. And red and black is not helpful. So <laughs> that's all... so funny that that's so, like socialist yeah. anarchist flags. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> all the gifts we give to power holders are hopeful, positive colours and quite soft colours. Whereas, you know, red and black is good for a short term thing, but you're only going to engage the people who already agree with you. You're that's not going to engage new people. Because I feel like of all the political parties, the Liberal Democrats are the least stridently <laughs> hopeful. No, no dis to Liberal Democrats, but you knew what you were doing and you really should be ashamed of yourselves. <laughs> no, I, I fully appreciate some of Robin's fans will be Liberal Democrats and I do apologise. I've gone in very deep here. But you see um, that Josie's weeded out all of you are not allowed to watch Josie. <laughs> <laughs> no, of course you are, I'm into it. I'm into it. If it it was up from, listen, if I could design the political spectrum, it would go all the way from far left to centre far left. That's my favourite thing. All the left. (laughs) Yeah. No, but but also, you've got 20% of the world's population are HSPs, so highly sensitive people, which means that very bold colours and very, you know, everything in capital letters with exclamation marks just shuts them down. And then we think what Susan Cain said about she reckons a third to a half of the world are introverts. So again, you need just in the activism toolkit, you need some of that big, you know, shouty stuff that my sister loves. And you also need some of the positive, quiet stuff that other people engage with. You need to engage people as bespokely as possible. So the more we can be varied, the better. Oh, totally. And I also think that different people... Uh, need to work with each other because I'm definitely somebody who works from the inside out. I think about like, oh, well, I really care about this, so I'll try and transmit that. Or I'm really 
you know, I think this is funny, so I'll try and transmit that. And I know that there are other people who go, well, what would other people want? Let's try and anticipate that and exactly. work with it. And I think it's good to sort of like have partnerships that are, yeah. you know, understanding of different types of creative personality types and organiser personality types to get more done. Also, Definitely. if you're a Lib Dem, I'm not trying to dish you. You've had, <laughs> you've had a hard enough time. <laughs> the... the but it's, yeah, it's very interesting that book where I I did judge. I don't no longer d- judge Daniel Coleman's book by the cover, but for a while <laughs> I did just go. Oh, and everyone seemed to have it. It's not yeah, the cover you've got. And yeah, then, then I just covers. noticed it's, it's quoted so many different. It's people really good, draw and it. it's not too clunky to read. I think it's a nice, easy read and accessible. Whereas I've got, I didn't bring some books that were just too hefty and heavy and clunky, and you think, and the text is too small, like thinking fast and slow. I don't do Kindles because I write all over books. The text is too small for me to read, and it's a brilliant book, but it's just, I can't read it. That drives me crazy, that sort of thing. Like, <sighs> even down to, I, I find it harder to read hardbacks. I love hardbacks because often the front's bigger as well. I love a good hardback. Oh, nice. It's like an adjustment. You have, uh, the next book on your pile is uh, someone who is truly I, iconic and an influence across alleged. about three generations <laughs> now, and who I'm seeing uh, with Nick Cave in Victoria <gasps> you Park. Are not, yeah. I'm away, so I can't go. The, it is so Patty Smith's um, second volume of, uh, of autobiography, M Train. Yeah, and I whacked that in the pile because I was worried my pile was very, like, heady and strategy for activism and I love her and I read M Train on holiday which I never take holidays and it's just really have you read it it's so slow but in a beautiful way and again I think bringing it back because my whole life is about general protest which is you know embarrassing in some ways but it's just the way I am and she's so amazing on how objects influence her and the senses and sitting in a coffee shop and having a think and writing on a tissue and then you know the how art and writing and thinking for her is just all one thing Mm. and it reminds you how beautifully complex our world is doesn't it I think she's I just I think yeah when you're feeling so depressed about the world it's a beautiful slow chilled out book to read and I'd read it all the time yeah it's really interesting I don't uh, really keep books so I've got lots of novels I just don't keep because I've read them once whereas yours has got a different cover to mine see I feel like that's that's again that's a good attitude like I find it so hard to get rid of things, even things yeah. I haven't liked. I'm really? like, yes, but maybe one day eventually I will. Or you I know, because my nonsense. dad's a hoarder of books, mm. which ha. stresses out my mom. I'm like, I'm not going to do that. You've got to let it flow through. You. Yeah, like I can empathise with one of the people books. in that story. I wonder which one it is. <laughs> which one is it? I'm afraid it's dad. Uh, I do <laughs> So my mum's like, how many books have you bought today? And he has to get rid of the same amount, and he doesn't. I oh, really. Exactly. And he's no, so sneaky. I got rid of he's like, I got yesterday. rid of some. Oh well, got rid of seventy books. books. Yeah. That is genuinely. I can imagine that was painful for you. Oh yeah, yeah. Because I don't want to get rid of any of them, but I have to start to acknowledge either that they are subjects that I've got other books on and I'm not going to read all the books on this subject because yeah. that's what happens I get excited by a subject I've got like shamanism of books recently I've bought too many books on shamanism now I've oh, got I don't know if I've got the right read. book on shamanism I'm the, the same uh, yeah. I can't help myself I can't help myself especially if they're hardback and beautiful and small any book that fits in my coat pocket I'm like I've got to buy it yeah it's a, it's a thing of beauty <laughs> it's a thing of beauty and it's portable and it's small enough that you can take joy in it uh, I just got Dear Zealots the essays of Amos Oz oh right so he's um, from his he's Israeli Jewish 
philosopher guy and he's writing to fanatics like you know extremists saying to them like dear zealots let's discuss this things on black and white and and he's not telling them what to do he's like this is what i think of my experience what's yours wow very beautiful way of trying to engage with people you disagree with but i can see how like so much of what you do feeds into that practice of kind of okay let's keep yeah, this trying. complicated let's keep this like humane mm. and try and work that out but then how how like this is probably and also i know we've been talking too much about online but like how do people deal with the fact that online has become so aggressive and binary yeah because it's it's so different to humanity <laughs> but i think all online isn't twitter is very unusual when i i love instagram because i like using yeah, images true. and then people often do mini essays so yeah. when i use instagram i always end with a question so put on my little you know what would sir david do patch up this morning yeah. for a uh, hashtag monday motivations i was like what would he do with this fragile world we're in? What, today, what would you do if you were Sir David? So you, you can use it in a very open way with open questions or you can use it to rant and shut people down. Mm. I think Twitter's really hard. Um, Instagram, you can write long. I have much more thoughtful conversations on Instagram and Facebook, uh, my Facebook page than I do on Twitter. Do you think it's because it's left there? Because I agree. I think that yeah. uh, if you, Twitter is, a, is a, people just punch out. It's yeah, fake. So they punch true. abuse yeah. and, and it keeps moving. Whereas, yeah. whereas Instagram, people curate. I notice I curate it a bit more because people do end up... Like, I've got one picture of Malala came to one of my workshops oh, years I saw that ago. In the book. It's so years cool. ago. And I still... You know, when you look, get your little alerts, people have, like, scrolled down a long time to get to that. I'm like, oh, that's strange. And but they always what... like hair more than Russell Brand. Yeah. <laughs> Which is good. For but good he reason. Was, he was thoughtful. He asked good questions when he came along. What was it like meeting Malala? Was she cool? She, I had to tell her to slow down with their crafting, which I thought was quite funny. She was rushing it, like, I know what to do. And I was like, I'm She's sure you do, but use it to slow down and have a think about this bit. But yeah, she was, once Once I sort of slowed her down, she, you could see her listening to everyone and going, oh yes, what about this? But it's it so too, intelligent. Because she was probably about 15, 16, and then you're she like, was, oh, so, I forget yeah. that you're a young person as yeah, well as this yeah. person who's done all this. Yeah, because you do. And also people treat her as not a human being because she is this amazing person but i think that's what's so good about crafting together is everyone's equal mm. and some people are good at it and some people aren't so in the book i talk about how an anarchist mum spoke to uh, a politician a diplomat who because they were sharing scissors and the um anarchist mum knew how to sew and the other person didn't she was the anarchist mum was lovely jess in the book that you've probably read a bit about um she came across she comes across very angry and like who are you politicians i believe in anarchy and nothing else and because she was sitting next to this woman and you don't need eye contact and i have flowers and lavender smells and music and make it very intimate space she's started asking and i love facilitating the workshops because I can just listen to people's conversations she was like so what do you actually do in your job because um, the woman was working in the embassy and then the lady was like so tell me a bit more about why you believe in anarchy and I think without them crafting together in a small space sitting alongside rather than you know talking at each other at a rally or something you wouldn't have those 
thoughtful conversations. Mm. So I do think it can be a very powerful thing to make stuff with people and have those craft of thought questions to discuss with each other. And it takes hours, you know, all my workshops are at least an hour and I have to kick people out at the end because they are really interested about listening to people and people who naturally speak a lot tend to self-censor themselves. They're a bit more mindful of what they're doing and people that don't speak up sometimes have more confidence to talk to the person next to them or get involved in the whole discussion because they don't need eye contact. Mm. Let's go. Oh, go on, Josie. No, I was just going to say, and there's something about making things yeah, together. Yeah, so empowering. Yeah. And that community feel. But yeah, the, the next book, sorry. I keep... It's only and it's just in, it's in, it's in it's order just... of size rather than any, like, other strategy. <laughs> but yeah, now, I've not read this. This is The Islamist, yeah. which I know many people have read and highly recommended. Yeah, it came what, out a while ago about, now. Yeah, what is it about that book? What was it... Well, I read it after 9-11 and quite a few years after it. And I was living in Whitechapel and the street that I lived on is mentioned in the book and he grew up in Whitechapel. So I bought it for that reason as well. And I'm just fascinated about how people's brains work and what forms us. And I was at an event recently with a psychiatrist talking about how we're feeling people that think. We're not thinking people that feel and whether we like it or not, everything we do is led by emotion first. Um, so I thought, yeah, how do how do we have extremists? Like, how does this happen? And it got rave reviews. And it's just a brilliant book about how, as a young boy, as a Muslim, with um, growing up in Whitechapel in London, his parents, I think, are from Sri Lanka, and how he ended up slipping into extremism as a in a youth group, youth mu- Muslim group, and getting more and more detached from the rest of the world that wasn't in agreement with his belief system and then what's unusual that he's written about is how he comes back out of it but he can see why he got into it and without it sounding awful he could see the positives in terms of camaraderie in terms of feeling like he's part of this safe space of his peers and that they had this purpose in life like all of that comes across that I think is really important for all of us not just Canadians at the moment and for everyone in the world to go why are people like this you know I grew up in a very white working class area so when we had Iraqi people come and live nearby it looked very racist And it wasn't when you spoke to people where people were just like, what language are they speaking? Why have they got fancy mobile phones and leather jackets when we're struggling on living on the dole with not a lot of disposable income? Like, we just, we want to know what's happening and we feel labelled in Liverpool, you know. People from my area felt very labelled from where we came from, so it, it came out in the wrong way. And the same with the community saying... Why are people treating us this way? And it was like, let's have a discussion and a meal and share things and try and understand what might look like like the screaming woman on that photograph. It might look like one thing and there's another. And I think it's just so important that we try and figure out what makes people tick and work within that without condoling anything horrific, obviously. Of course, it's the same. Those are the and he's same such a thoughtful that... writer. Yeah. Mm. But I was thinking those are the same ways that people... Um... Relate to the far right. You yeah, know, it's exactly, exactly the same thing. Of I've identity. Got a purpose, I've got people yeah, who care I've about me. I've got my me. tribe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've yeah, 
and it's and especially if you feel attacked then you're looking for a group where you feel valued and that's what frustrates me with so much activism is we're right you're wrong so you're creating more division more labeling you know i keep getting messages at the moment saying what are you doing for when trump arrives you know in july with theresa may inviting them i'm like i don't know yet because i don't just want to make a voodoo doll of donald trump which will be really popular and lots of people will like it on instagram and online and probably get lots of media attention but it's not helpful and is craftivism the best thing to use and all of the signs that we had you know last year with him and his tiny hands and you think it's we need to be focusing on policies not personalities because it's just it's not helping anyone it's oversimplifying it's you know the pussy hats in america i thought were not helpful Mm. because it was either you're with us or you're against us and there wasn't a clear um accountability saying this is what we want you to do trump so he didn't have to reply it was just women on a women's march which is incredible for solidarity but it wasn't clear on what it wanted, so it wasn't making anyone accountable. Also, I think Trump is a really, really difficult so prospect difficult. because the like mocking doesn't help. Yeah, rational response doesn't help. Yeah. It, it, I think it takes like I'm, I'm so kind of spun out by it sometimes yeah. when I think about. Uh, what you to know, do how yeah. people like does it really come down to how do people find out how to influence fox news you know but, uh, how I do think... people find out how to kind of change online platforms that yeah. they can't be manipulated in the same way like it it's sort of i don't and I even think that's know. why you've got to look at where's your circle of influence and what's your strategy so this last week i was in lancaster um doing stuff for fashion revolution there um, profession revolution week but my friend lives there who's a professor and and works on the arctic base camp at davos she takes it to davos every time incredible woman her name's gail and she works a lot with christina figueres who was like amazing would get an actual quite strong um deals for the climate change deal in paris yeah. and they so i was saying to her what do you do with trump when america you know when he comes out of the climate change deal and she's working with Christina Figueres and and the UN Climate Change Forum she's like right well we just don't engage with him what we do is we engage with mayors all over the world and senators and congressmen and um, they're doing a lot with like the Paris mayor and loads of different mayors all over the world to engage them and businesses and they're going to have a big summit in California in a couple of months because the what's the name of it's not a mayor it's someone else in California who's got Oh, the governor. The governor is hosting it all, and California is the fourth biggest industry, um, economic profit block, block <laughs> in the world. And they're showcasing all of the amazing stuff they're doing, and they're getting leaders from all over the world to come along. And he's just putting his fingers up to Trump, saying, I'm governor, I'll do what I want. So sometimes it's working around people, sometimes it's trying to influence them. And I think we just need to try and be strategic and thoughtful wow is it also about getting information because the point is oh yeah very often placards and you know that don't you want to the most persuasive thing is to offer someone information yeah not necessarily well i'd say ask questions first yeah because no one we're all stubborn no one wants to be told what to do or think or make us feel stupid so i think the more we know stuff and then we ask people questions 
and say, tell me a bit more about your your decision for that because I've read this and it doesn't seem to go along with what you're saying. Maybe I've read it wrong. You know, so the more we can educate ourselves and then figure out ways of putting yourself in the other person's shoes and think, how would, if I was that person, how could someone make me feel valued, listened to, and then I might engage with them in a two-way conversation. So it's in, I think it's educating ourselves and then trying to offer an attractive space to discuss it so that they take ownership of it as well because you're more likely to do stuff if you take ownership of it. So you work out, why do I want what I want? Yeah. And why do they want what they want? Yeah. And do I know what I want? Do they know what they want? Because <laughs> yeah. I think there's a lot of, you know, we've seen oh, this yeah, a lot massively. in politics recently where you go, well, I do think that person's uh, awful. I'm not really sure why. why. I think a lot of it might have been, and equally when you sometimes ask, why Why do you want to vote for that or what yeah. are you after? And they go, because well, of the thing that might have yeah. happened, but I'm not sure if it did. And then you can say, well, if you want to know more about that, I, there's some more info here about it, or I've read this about it, and it does. it's quite confusing, isn't it? You know, with Brexit, mm. I know some older people who genuinely voted Brexit because they thought more money was going to the NHS Mm. and when they realised it was a lie there was tears in their eyes and Mm. they were embarrassed so it was saying and I wish we'd said it beforehand like I know this is confusing and you're getting this info but actually it's this info so now it's having those conversations with people of okay you wanted this but doesn't quite fit what you were told but then I also think things people do things in a really sometimes contradictory and like like emotionally charged way oh, that yeah because then it's really hard to engage with them yeah I, I had a conversation on the day of the Brexit vote I was coming down from Scotland um to go and make sure that I voted and um uh remain if you can't guess and um <laughs> the woman that I was sat with on the train sat for ages and she really wanted to tell me that she'd voted Brexit and I kept being like I don't want to have this conversation thanks Let's especially on talk. a long train journey where you're yeah. stuck with them and then eventually I like she did sort of manage to get me and I was very upset because I didn't I was like I just really feel like you're you know you're limiting the opportunities of young people and you're this isn't the way to go about it and blah 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 and she'd said well you know and the nhs will be better and i was like but you know like because we were both labor party supporters and she was like i was like but you know that it's the tories in charge and they're not doing that and you know it's a lie and she went well obviously i know that isn't true but at the same time and i was like but you've just told me it was and there was something in that that was like so complicated that i couldn't deal with it of that like I know this is a lie, but also it isn't a lie. But yeah. at the same time, I think it is happening, but it isn't happening. And I was just like, I I don't know how to have this conversation anymore. And I I'm think just it's just leaving seeds as well. Like you're yeah. not going to solve, change someone's mind in one train journey. Like a lot, I don't like conflict, which is not helpful for an activist. So a lot of our stuff is shop dropping little messages that are asking questions rather than, telling people what to do with a giant megaphone or giving gifts that say I believe in you as a power holder to do the best thing and this is what I think you could do don't blow it here's a handkerchief to encourage you and then let them engage with it but you reply with a handwritten letter or an email follow-up but it doesn't always have to be I think it's really hard for anyone to listen when you're physically next to each other eyeball to eyeball so the more we can drop things like we do hearts green hearts on your sleeve so you wear your heart on your sleeve and you stitch what you love an object ideally so it might be chocolate or it might be a teddy or 
your grandchild and you stitch the word on your green heart, which is all made out of post-consumer plastic bottles felt, um, which is a nice story in itself. And you wear it. And when people see it's homemade and a bit messy and people say, whether it's your friend or someone on the train, like, why have you got chocolate written on your arm in a bit of a wibbly wobbly way? And you can say things like, I love chocolate. (laughs) I'm worried about it because climate change is meaning that it's really hard to grow things. So it's going to be harder to have chocolates. It's quite lighthearted, not Mm. too intense. And then you always end with a question and it's all in our kits of what to do. And it'll say, you know, make sure you end with what do you love? And if they say like, oh, you know, wine or, you know, you have a bit of a fun, fun saying climate change is affecting everything. I want to, you know, wear my heart on my sleeve to say I want to protect chocolates. I'm going to you know use renewable energies and try and think about what i'm doing but what my politicians are doing and have a think about what you can do and then you just leave it with them and it's more likely to sink in because you're asking them to think for themselves rather than telling them things Mm. and what was great with that it was before the london and paris climate marches and we targeted groups of people who'd never been on marches who were quite scared of marches and got them all in the rich mix and then um, gave them free Ben and Jerry's ice cream and we had colourful um, mindful colouring in as a big banner as well and and they made their little hearts to wear on their sleeves and then we took them to the march and prepared them and said this is what a march is like and you might think it's really scary and violent and it's going to be like this and we'll all go together and look and see if anyone else is wearing a heart on their sleeve and we did it with climate coalition so it was it was big and as soon as people saw other people with them they were like i see one over there i see one over there and because it's something personal and they were like what does yours say what does yours say so again because it's homemade and people have put a bit of effort in and it's intriguing rather than preachy it was this real lovely connection people were having with each other We've run out of time. Oh, sorry. Um, thank you very much, Terry. Uh How to Be a Craftivist is in bookshops now. And uh, go and look up also uh, online and uh, and get involved. Thank you very much to those who support the podcast that mean we can keep making them. And today we would like to thank Daniel Carrington, Z Atofe, Ryan Lloyd, Purdy Patterson, Shona McAllister, Hannah O'Reilly, Holly Parsons, Polly Baggins and Martha Lee. Yes, and if you'd like to become a patron, you can go to patreon.com slash bookshambles. All your pledges help keep the show going and uh, go towards making all the other stuff we do at Cosmic Shambles Network. Uh, We've got a trailer out tomorrow, actually, for a new radio documentary we've been working on uh, for the 100th birthday of Richard Feynman, physicist and author that we mention on Bookshambles a lot. So thank you for your support. Projects like that and Book Shambles could not exist without your pledges. And next week we will be back with a very special 100th in-studio episode of Book Shambles. You may have seen us talking about it on Twitter with our very, very special guest, Mr Brian Cranston. Thank you for listening and we will see you next week. This podcast is part of the Cosmic Shambles Network. Josie Robbins' book Shambles was produced by Trent Burton of Trunkman Productions. Good, good, good.